You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Give Him the Children, recorded on September 9th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Harvest Community Church. It is time for our fall kickoff, as we call it. Kickoff because it sounds like football. It's not fall yet, though. It's still summertime. My name is Mike. If you're a first-time guest to Harvest, no matter where you're sitting today, whether in the room with me or somewhere else, I'm glad to be here to bring the Word of God to you. Why does Harvest exist? To increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. We need a purpose. It's not just to come and, and, and do your weekly duty and go away. We want to make an impact on the world for God. We want Him to be glorified. So we want to increase the health and size of God's church. With that said, I want to thank you already, those of you who are participating in our next initiative. If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it now, but perhaps later, because it, it's um, we're really getting a little... <sighs> breathing room and a little bit of a cushion and I want to tell you about something that is not wonderful that we are able to do because of it I said that's right not wonderful that we're able to do we've had two terrific opportunities that God dropped in our lap one was a a large church right across the campus from Indiana University that someone was going to give us and uh, now that would still take an investment of of money to renovate and get the technology and get uh, whatever we were going to do for ministry with that. And we're, we were just so thankful. As elders, we were pushing, and it looked real good. And then at the last minute, boom. The people who have power over such things said, no, we're going to give it to somebody else. And we said, okay, that was interesting. But it's because of the commitment that you've made that we were able to even say yes. Because we realized there are costs involved, and we have that breathing space. So then, in Catanning, we had another opportunity. It looked like it was possible we could start some huge ministry in Catanning because the high school was available. And it looked like we had a, at least a good shot to be in the conversation, and we were going for it all the way. And then, boom, the powers that be said, no, not you. And we're not resentful about either one of those things. May the Lord bless both buildings and both residents. It's all good. Um, I'm just saying it is, we are very much on the lookout for new ways to do uh, new ministry in new places. And if God wanted us in those exciting meetings just to get our elders excited, just to shut it down, that's his business. And he, he might want to, maybe he's saying, look, maybe I'm going to take you somewhere you're not expecting. Uh, it, it doesn't matter one way or the other to us. Whatever God wants, that's all we want. But in, increasing the size of God's church doesn't make a difference if you don't Keep increasing the health. And, and, and the health of a church is like the health of a body or the health of a car. Uh, cars and bodies are both very good uh, to, to compare to each other because they both fall apart rather rapidly, but you still do your best to maintain them if you're wise, right? So uh, every, every year I go on a new diet at some point and, uh, because otherwise there's just no end to the growth of me. <laughs> I can definitely increase in size and not health uh, uh, very easily. You know, yeah, I regularly get the synthetic oil put in my car, and there's a little sticker that I, that I ignore for 10,000 miles beyond, but still, I get it done. If you don't maintain your car, your health, your marriage, health will run away all by itself. Same with the church. And the way the church stays healthy, believe it or not, has a lot to do with the individual. 
with you and me. Uh, There is no pastor who ever is off the hook for pursuing the Lord in his own life, and there's no church member either. So that's why, you know, the Lord said, go and make disciples. See, your church, if a church is a house, (laughs) the, the bricks are disciples, and that's you. And disciples aren't just people who say, yeah, I'm part of the gang. They're people who are growing in Christ to, towards doing something. And, and we try to set them out. If you look at your bulletin right now, they're right in the front. Very small, but they're there. Love one another. Walk with God. Seek the lost. Those aren't just made up because, boy, those are nice things to do. Those are actually taken from biblical principles. That's what disciples do. That's, now, it, in other words, the health of the church is on all of us. And so as we launch into fall, and maybe you're not starting, restarting your diet like I am, um, but it, it may be time to remind yourself that God is someone who is, you are always to pursue as long as you're on this earth. Your relationship with God can grow tired, stagnant, or you could just forget for a while that he needs effort. And so I'm inviting you, especially as we begin 1 Samuel to go to the place where he feeds us the best, through his Holy Spirit, through his Bible, through the Word of God. We're going to be going actually through 1 Samuel 1 to chapter 17 between now and Christmas. Then we're going to do something new after that. So it's really the first 17 chapters. So you know where we're going. It it measures out to about a chapter a week. Not exactly, because there's some passages that need a little extra attention but almost a chapter a week. So you know we're doing chapter one this week. You can go ahead and read chapter two and start thinking about it. It will really help what you receive as an individual if when you hear a sermon, you already know the territory. You already have your own thoughts on it. God will already, through His Spirit, have started talking to you about it. And then when the preacher comes, the Holy Spirit will talk to you again. And then hopefully if you're in a community group, He'll stir it up in you a third time, all right? And this is how you have to manage yourself ultimately. Little babies need to be managed. But as they grow up, you want to teach them to manage themselves. And as disciples, it's when you can feed yourself well that uh, you are truly helpful to the church. So we all want to be Bible people. There's no one who goes to harvest who we say, well, you don't have to be a Bible person. Let other people read it for you. No, we're all Bible people right? So this is your invitation to come with me on a diet. No, you don't have to diet. On reading 1 Samuel, and you'll love it, by the way. And, and here I'll give you an inside, inside baseball tip. The entire sermon series is about Jesus. Because 1 Samuel chapter 1 to 17 is about Jesus. Because the entire Old Testament is about Jesus. And it is very important that no Christians ever detach themselves from the Old Testament. And if you ever hear a teacher say it's time for Christians to detach themselves from the Old Testament, ignore that person even if he's a good person. Because the the entire Bible is about Jesus. So, let's jump in now. First Samuel, um, thank you um, here in containing Lori for reading that. Thank you in Indiana and Freeport and... um, Trolley Valley, whoever read that. So since it's been read, I'm ready to just jump in. Um, so let's, let's do that. Elkanah has two wives. Okay, there's problems right there. 
There's problems right there. And, uh, now, many times Christians wonder why were there so many people with two wives, faithful people, in the Old Testament? Uh, Jesus makes it clear, by the way, in the New Testament, that's not God's way. God's way is that marriage is the two become one flesh, not the three become one or the four become two or whatever. It's two become one. And yet, the customs of those times were whatever they were. And once the marriage has happened, God seemed to say, okay, you're going to stick with this situation. And, and it's often thought that, 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 well, it's not often, many think the reason the custom of this particular time was if, if your wife could not produce the baby, then perhaps you get another wife so that you can have heirs. And you don't throw out the first, but you keep them both. In any case, it's not an ideal situation. You can see all the jealousy that can be there. And of course, Hannah is in distress. She has no baby. And she's, she is the wife, really. And uh, it seems like Penina, who I just like to call Penny, came along later. So Penny, Penny's having babies, and Hannah's not having babies, and Penny's not a gentle person. Penny gets on Facebook... <laughs> and she throws a picture of herself and the baby and says, I think every woman should have a baby. And make sure that she, she uh, tags Hannah so she sees that. And um, Hannah didn't have a baby. No, she was sad enough she didn't have a baby. Now she has this woman in her house who's constantly tormenting her over it. Um, that sounds like a nightmare, by the way. Living in a house with, with, with uh, two adult women who, who aren't getting along. Um, why didn't Hannah have a baby? Uh, God closed her womb, the Bible tells us. And this didn't go on for just a little while. This went on for years. And there was no such thing as fertility treatments. Um, you just don't have a baby. Now, Elkanah was, would lead his family to worship. And they would go into Shiloh and they would uh, bring some animal portions to worship and apparently he made a vow to give some other wealth in some other way and they'd come and they'd worship and they'd feast. I think that's the way worshiping should be. Worshiping and partying should almost always go together. And I mean it, I mean it. They, if you notice, all the Jewish festivals are just that, festivals. They're religious and they're fun, all right? We, we somehow get the reason that God's no fun. God invented parties. He invented ice cream, um, or at least gave us the raw materials and gave us the brains. So they would go, and they'd feast and worship. And, and, and so when we step in on chapter 1, what we see is a woman in great despair. She's been in this situation for years. Have you ever prayed for something for years? It's very hard to keep that up. Uh, most of us, we either get what we want or we move on. But for years, she wanted this. And now she wants satisfaction from God. This apparently, we've, it, it, we've, we're, we're entering into the story at a point where she's about to snap, right? <laughs> um, early on, perhaps she was handling this better. And she's watching the clock tick. She's getting older. The other girl, just Penny, just keeps popping out the babies, apparently. And, and she's, she's about to snap. She's had it. Why am I on the earth? Why did God put me on the earth if I can't have babies? What good am I? She's thinking. Her husband's awesome. <laughs> the Bible said he, he gave her a double portion. So... They liked them big. I don't know what, 
What is he thinking? You're going to eat more. Actually, there, there's some Hebrew argument over what that meant. Some, it literally says he gave her two noses. I have no idea what that means. Literally, that's what it says. But in any case, it was some way of saying, I still love you, honey. And then he said something that every sensitive man would say to a woman who's crying about not having a child. But you have me. <laughs> He's like, but you got me. I, that's got to be better than 10 sons. Ta-da. <laughs> Men, they're so dumb. <laughs> yes, we are. But she was at the end of her rope. And, and so now she's dealing with God. She's wrestling with God. I don't know um, what her relationship with God was before. I don't know if she's just getting to this point. But for the rest of this chapter, we see a very faithful woman. And she's a faithful woman who's filled with anxiety and despair. Can you be filled with anxiety and despair and be faithful? Yes. Very important you get that because a lot of times you can be filled with anxiety and despair and think, I'm feeling these things because I'm not good enough. I'm feeling these things because I don't believe enough. Now you're feeling these things because it's a fallen world. You are limited and you might be on the right path. Now if you feel anxiety and despair and do not run to God with them but think you will deal with them your own way, well then, that's a different matter. Uh, I wouldn't put you in the category of this is a good thing. But she's definitely feeling very bad. So she's, she wants satisfaction from God and she cuts him a deal. Here's the deal. Um, going back to the text, verse 10. She was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. And she's doing this right out in the open in front of whatever tent or area that, they, that the priest is. And she vowed a vow. You ever vow to God? If you ever vow to God, keep your vow. She cut him a deal. O oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. Probably the razor head thing has something to do with I will give him to the priesthood, I'll give him to the ministry. She's at the end of her, of her rope and she doesn't care who knows at this point. You may think you're at the end of your rope, but you're not at the end of your rope till you don't care who knows you're at the end of your rope. Until you get to the point where you go, oh, forget it, let's just talk about this thing. I'm going crazy here. Then you're not really at the end of your rope. You still have time. And Eli's like, what is wrong with this woman? He doesn't seem to know her. He says, lady, you're drunk. (laughs) And she says, I'm not drunk. She has some dignity. She says, I'm not drunk. I'm not worthless. I love that. This isn't a self-esteem issue. Um, I'm not worthless. I'm talking to God here because I'm in pain. I'm troubled. Eventually, Eli blesses her. Verse 17. Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Now, for some reason, that was it. It broke. That's what she needed in that moment. Those aren't magic words. He's not a magic priest. But in her life, sometimes you're struggling and then somebody brings a word to you and they don't even know that God's going to use that word to put you on the path you needed to be on anyway. And that's it. She's happy again. Up till on this particular trip to the feast, she wasn't eating. She was getting skinny. She wouldn't eat. 
And, and, and Elcano's disturbed. He likes his wife with double portions. <laughs> well, he's already established that. <laughs> and she's desperate and crying. The Bible says she gets up, cleans herself up, and goes, goes back to the feast and goes, was well, for supper. Let's eat. Well, Penny's probably there. Look at my three kids I have had in the last week. <laughs> he's like, she's like, they're cute. Great. Pass the steak. She didn't care. She was at peace. Nothing had necessarily changed. She made a vow. She got a blessing from a priest, and she knew God heard her. And that's where, then she has the baby, Eli. She weans him and brings him back. By weaning, we may think one or two, or just breastfeeding. Um, There's a great deal of scholarly argument over this, I tend to believe the scholars who say this weaning included waiting till the child was old enough to go to the bathroom, give himself water and food, uh, a size probably around four or five, um, and ready, ready to be on his own. And that's where the, the, it ends. They drop him off with Eli. He, Eli is like, hey, who are you? Remember me? I was kind of a hot mess last time you saw me. My hair was a mess. I was pretty skinny. I'm back to my fight and weight. And I made a vow to God. This is what I was praying for. I was praying for this little guy. Guess what? He's yours. Take him, raise him, teach him to follow God. And um, as a postscript, what you'll find as you read chapter two for next week is that mom would come back every year and knit him a little tunic. Isn't that cute? And, um, And she'd have five more children. Well, that's our text. It's a review of it. So three truths we should learn from Hannah's story. Ready? Let's jump in. Uh, we have a lot to do here, so put your thinking caps on. And if you're, if you're keeping your map, hopefully take out your pen and get ready. Three truths. Number one, and it's a heavy one. God designs and uses distress in our lives for his purposes. God designs... I didn't say allows, I said designs and uses distress in our lives for his purposes. God brought about Hannah's distress. The Bible does not make this accidental. Well, they just couldn't get pregnant. (laughs) You know, people giving Elkanah advice, drink more lemon juice or something. You know, maybe you're not healthy. You know, no, it had nothing to do with Elkanah. It had nothing to do with Hannah. God said no. God brought, put her in a situation where she was going to be upset, where she was going to have a rival. God designed it and put her in a place that led to her being a hot mess at the end of a rope, looking like a drunken woman laying on the ground whispering to herself. And he did it for a very great purpose. Now, his plan is clear in hindsight. As we read through Samuel, we're going to see that her son is one of the greatest men in the Bible and one of the most important men in the flow of history of the Old Testament, as you will learn as we go on. That's why he's called the maker of kings. And and God is, he's not going to come in the normal way. You're going to come in with distress, The critic today says, what sort of God allows people to be in pain when he could stop it? 
What kind of God causes distress? You, who would believe in a God who causes distress for his own people? Uh, it's a very immature point of view. I guarantee you the God of the Bible is a God who puts his own people through stress and distress and difficulty and trial. Don't leave because of that. There are a lot of false teachers who will tell you the opposite is true, that you come to Christ and all your distress goes away. Um, They're not reading the same Bible. So, for our map, here's a summary statement. The Bible teaches that pain in the life of God's faithful ones is never wasted. And ultimately, always for our good. What the Bible does not teach is we'll never have distress. I'm standing in a room where, though I can't see everybody, I know many people in this room and I know many of their stories and many of them have been through a great deal of difficulty. And I know, I've seen PVC, I've seen Indiana, I've seen Freeport, I know a lot of those people and they have had a lot of distress in their lives too. (laughs) And I'm saying the Bible teaches that God puts his faithful ones right there. Now, just to be clear, there's two kinds of pain that could be in your life. One is the, is the avoidable kind. This is the foolish kind. This is the stupid kind. This is the kind you do not have to have. It comes from sin. Sin always hurts. It always, sin always gets, you know, your mom, it, it was like my mom. Don't even start telling her you stayed up too late last night and you can't get out of bed to go to high school. Because she'd always say something about paying a piper. And I'm like, I don't even know a piper. I don't know why piper's got to get paid. And she'd say, well, if you want to dance, you got to pay the piper. I didn't dance, and I don't know who he is. But what she was saying is, you're in stupid pain. And there's no mercy for stupid pain. It was completely avoidable. So what I'm saying is, you can't go out and do bad things, and then, for fun, have them cause pain for you and your family, and then say, well, God did it. No, you did it. And that was stupid. Don't do that. But there's another kind, the kind like Hannah was in, was unavoidable, God-directed. Romans 8, 28, familiar text to many. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When you're in difficulty, pain, and stress, you must know that God has a plan that's going to make it more than worth it. More than worth it. You'd say, you don't know the pain I went through. I don't care the pain you went through. I've talked to many people who've gone through probably that much pain, if not more, who, who are faithful to God and who will tell you, He'll make it more than worth it, but not just on this earth, in the life to come, and in ways you do not know. I've, heard, I've seen people say, yeah, you're right, I'm in a little pain, but I can see God using this in my life. I'm trying to figure out why he would do this. Stop trying to figure out why. That will always fall flat. You'll think you know why, but your dumb reason may not be worth the pain. But God has, he's really smart. He's got, the whole map figured out. And Samuel is going to be a very important person here. And we don't also see the reward of his return in the resurrection. The time when God says, you got no idea what mind-blowing stuff I've got for you because of that pain. It doesn't matter. 
You don't have to know why. Job never found out why. If you don't know who Job is, read Job. He suffered as much as anyone can suffer. And if you read the whole book, he comes to resolution. At the end is, the answer to why you suffered is, God says, because I'm smarter than you. That's the answer. That's all he ever gets. Were you there when I made the earth? No. Well then, I don't think you need to know. We're on a need-to-know basis here. God has taken your security clearance. You're like Brennan. A little dated reference there. In years to come, that will mean nothing to anyone who hears this recording. Hannah is a beautiful example to us. She suffered, but she cried out to God. She took it to God. Again, we don't know. Maybe she was more selfish, impetuous. Maybe God used the suffering to make her turn to him. Maybe she didn't, didn't used to be a woman who turned to God. But when we cut into the story, she's a faithful woman. And she did what you're supposed to do. She cried out to God. She didn't care it herself. She said, God, we got to wrestle this thing down. And relief came. Thousands of Christians, there's probably millions, but I don't know the numbers. God has broken and brought peace. One person said, God never uses a man, and I'd include man or woman, but he was talking in a ministry context without hurting him first. Reality says that every faithful person is tried by God in the furnace. The Bible says that the crucible is for silver, but God tries the heart. What a picture. Take a piece of silver, maybe a coin, a silver dollar, throw it in the crucible, heat it up, it turns to liquid. That's pretty hot. But guess what God tries? Gold? No, he put your heart in there. That's right. Every single son he receives. For the faithful who are hearing me now, the faithful of harvest, you have been and you will be through more difficulty, more distress and more trial. And you don't have to feel good and you don't have to snap out of it. But you do have to not feel self-pity and remember, your God is good. You don't have to know why. Because God will never leave you and he will always relieve you. And God will hurt you, but he will never harm you. He'll never harm you. So, We continue on in our trials. We wait for him. He sees us. He hears us. And here's Hannah as an example. By the way, I'm talking unavoidable pain. You're not suffering punishment. God is not bound by karma. He's bound, he bounds himself in grace and love. You're not necessarily suffering because you lack faith. Peter wrote to the young church when it was being persecuted and he said something that I think is insightful to how God handles these things. It says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now he didn't know what was going to happen in each of those individual lives and that restoration for some may have been going to glory. That's Christianese for dying. Going to heaven. But he knows his God. He knows God is a God of all grace. After you have suffered a little while, how long? I don't know. A little while. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. And I declare that right now to you for when the times come in the future, when your time of trial comes. Or if you're going through it now, or so you can praise God because you already went through it, you can know that in a little while, God will strengthen you. 
Okay, the second thing we can learn from this text. Children are a gift from the Lord. That's stated plainly in the Bible elsewhere. But let's not miss that. The answer to Hannah is, of course, in 2018, Hannah, what's wrong with you? You don't need a man to have an identity, and you don't need a baby. Get up, get your briefcase, get out there to the marketplace, and you show them you can make you some money. (laughs) Our human values are so whack. God opens every womb. Uh, Even if they're in a lab, embryos, No greater gift does God ever give to humanity than the human baby. Except for Jesus, who was a human baby and then died for us. No baby's ever given to someone because they deserve a baby, right? Sometimes bad guys get like five or six babies. And really nice girls are saying to their husband, you get me a baby. That was raising Arizona, if you didn't see the movie. Sometimes the good girl doesn't get the, the baby and the bad girl does. Because they're given by grace, they're not earned. Humans are made in the image of God. They have souls. God values the human more than the earth. Doesn't mean he doesn't value the earth or that we shouldn't, but he values the human more. There's nothing he values more than humans. Nothing, nothing, nothing that's on the earth. He will destroy the entire earth. Humans he asks to give account for themselves and many of them will be saved and live forever after the earth with a new one. They are the only things made in his image. Abortion remains our nation's greatest ongoing criminal act. There is no no uglier sin that is happening on the globe. There isn't. We are slaying innocent babies an amazing rate and saying oh this is for freedom freedom to what well freedom to have sex without having the little brat no it's selfishness hard heartedness foolishness insensitivity and blindness it's human hating destruction in a nation that would cut off the water to California farmers to save a minnow You think we can put a little effort to saving little humans? This world is at war with humanity and with children especially. Nobody wants children. Nobody has children. If we do, we got to control this. (laughs) The world's population, we are about to have a huge population trouble. Some of you young people will live to see it. I'll probably die. The world will probably grow to about, from seven to about 12 billion, and then it'll begin to shrink precipitously with no young people, no earners, and and poverty will come as we go down. Because no one's having enough babies to replace humanity. Why? Because no one values babies. That's why. You could look at Hannah and say, what a fool. If only she was liberated. Perhaps she's right. Perhaps it's worth it to cry for a baby. Career is more valued. The career being more valued is the stupidest thing in the world. 
unless you're doing what you really love, it's just a big competition. Who can make the most? Well, let's all get in the competition and prove that women can make more. Hey, I've seen a lot of deadbeat dudes whose wives have proved to me they're better at him than making money. And he loves it. More time for video games. But his stomach will never carry the most valuable thing on the earth. Will it? And so when they're done, they have the same amount of money they would have had if he'd have got off his butt, but no children. That's very common. Now, I'm saying this in a rural setting, and you rural people are a little closer to bunnies on this issue. (laughs) But I'm telling you, the whole world isn't rural. (laughs) And some of you are going to say, well, I'd have had them. God didn't give me a man. Well, that's fine. Or God didn't give us babies. That's fine. The question is in your heart, do you love humans? When God looks at the earth, we're his jewels. Third, giving children up for ministry pleases God. Wow. Boy, and by the way, she kept that vow. If you give me a baby, I'll give him back to you for ministry. Who wouldn't be tempted to run away from that one? God, if you let me live, I'll never drink again. Lots of people have run away from that one. (laughs) She's like, God, give me a baby. I'll give him back to you. What a faithful woman. God could have said, nah, you're, you're offering a little much, all right? Her sacrifice to me is breathtaking. She's an amazing woman because of her faith. And, and maybe the years of, of, of waiting caused her to realize, okay, whatever you want's fine with me. But she was a woman, and she takes her little four or five-year-old boy and, and, and says, okay, you teach him the Bible and all this prophety kind of stuff, and, and I'll keep in touch with him. Eli, remember me? Now I remember you. Oh, you're that one. Oh, Lord, as you live, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition. That What a valiant thing to stand and say. I am the woman who stood and made a vow to God, and now I am the woman who's going to honor that vow. I am giving my children to you. You wonder why Hannah is mentioned every time we have a child dedication. There's why. And, and he worshiped. We'll see what happens in his life. This is about it. She, she has a swan song. It's actually a woman's song. It's coming next week. <laughs> but the story starts to be about Samuel. But she's not the only person in the Bible who did this. Remember the New Testament? Remember John the Baptist? This lady waited forever to get a baby. She didn't get no baby. Bible says she, her and her husband are faithful. God didn't give them a baby. Why? Because babies aren't given to those who deserve them. They're given by grace. And finally, in her old age, she gets a baby. And John the Baptist, he's given completely to ministry. He doesn't get a high school football letterman jacket. He doesn't get married and have kids. All he does is say the Lord is coming and he keeps working, telling the truth, telling people to repent of sin until a king chops his head off at the right moment. And he introduced the Christ and that pleased God. 
What about what God said to Abraham? Abraham, I know I've promised you a son, and you've been waiting a long, long, long time, and you finally got him. Sarah finally made you one son. That's all she brought you. And now what I want you to do with this little 13-year-old boy is I want you to give him back to me. He's going to die now. (laughs) Give him up as worship? Yeah. And of course, God stopped his hand, said, no, no, no. (laughs) There's a reason you just went through this. I'm not going to tell you what it is now, but you passed the test. Did you know that what Hannah did, this act that she did, is the act that is the center of the Bible? It is the act that's at the center of human history. It's the act that's at the center of the world, the whole universe, and the whole story of us. Because the whole story of us is a parent giving his child to the ministry of the Lord, giving his life. God is the Father who sent his Son to earth. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Hannah was doing what God was going to do. Abraham was doing what God was going to do. And and Elizabeth was doing what God was going to do. God gave his only son. Why? Look what the Bible says in 1 John. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, and watch this, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. He sent his son. Now, if you, any of you have kids, imagine doing this with one of them. If any of you are, have no kids, but you are somebody's kid, imagine your parent doing it to you. What you're doing is you're taking the child to a, the worst criminal you can imagine, perhaps some, some killer, rapist, pedophile, something horrible, and you're bringing your child and saying, may the blood of this innocent one satisfy the anger of the court and of society for the sins of that guilty one. How many of you are volunteering your kid? I'm not. God did for me and you. That's what propitiation means. The anger of God was satisfied. The anger he had at my sin and yours through his son. This is the good news of of Christ. That Jesus was offered as a worship offering on a cross so that I could be saved and you could be saved. And that's how God chose his love for us. That's why we say you gotta receive Jesus to be saved. Now, Hannah brought her son to the holy place, right? Took him into where the priest was, the holiest place they had. They didn't have a temple yet. And and said, here. Well, God took his son to the holiest place too. He died in Jerusalem, and he took him in to the holy of holies in heaven. And now, here you and I are, like Sarah. If you're in a jam... And you go to God and you're crying out. Have you ever, excuse me, like Hannah, have you ever been like Hannah? Maybe you cry and don't pray. But you run to God and you wonder, is he listening? Well, of course he's listening. He already gave you the most valuable thing he's got. So we're saved because he sent his son to the holy place. What shall we say to these things, Romans 8? Romans 8. 31. What shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The central act of love is a parent offering up his child for the glory of God and the salvation of many, but just the parent is God. So we see, Hannah's, we see Christ in Hannah's beautiful example, don't we? Right? We see God giving his son. We see Hannah giving hers. Well, what about us? We don't worship the same customs. God doesn't want us to drop our sons off at some altar. Don't give them to me. <laughs> well, here's my five-year-old. Return him when he's 18. You'd like to do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> One, bring your children to worship and teach them how serious it is to honor God. It's been the summer, and I've seen good people I love love teaching their children to worship and honor God. And I've seen good people I love forgetting that worship even matters. Oh yeah, there's a God somewhere. Pray with them daily is part of teaching them to worship. And dads, I'm laying this one on you. Now if your kids are older, I want you to try this. They may push back because it's weird because you didn't do it when they were kids. But if they're little babies, it's easy, right? Here's your two easy prayer points. Supper. Supper. Catch them with a food in their mouth. Have we prayed? (laughs) Close your eyes and just pray. Well, I don't know how to pray for supper. Thank you, God, for feeding us. It's easy. And you add the rest. And then at bedtime, cinch, bedtime. Get some sort of prayer. After a while, become a ritual. You'll start saying the same things. It'll be easy. But that's an easy way for a dad. Now, dads who are older, you know, you're like, you're like he's right. I should have done that with my kid. But now my kid's 13. What do I do? Okay, it's going to get weird. You're going in. At first, they don't go to bed. It's 1230. I want to pray with you. It's much harder. Do the meals. <laughs> do the meals. I had one guy who I was saying, you need to read the Bible to your kids. And this was back in New Jersey. And he, he had been in church his whole life and never really got Jesus, right? Have you known people like that? Um, and, and now he got Jesus. So he said, I'm going to do that. But he hadn't read the Bible much. And so he took his teenage kids and he was read, said, I'm going to read them the Christmas story. This one. And he read Mary as Marv. And he actually had Joseph and Marv going <laughs> to Bethlehem. And his kids never let him forget that. But at least he's trying. (laughs) If you don't have a dad in the home, ladies, hey, Hannah's your example. She just marched her kid right up to worship. Take your kids to weekend worship. Fridays and Sundays we do it here. Elkanah brought his family yearly and taught them to worship. Teach them to tithe. He kept his vows to the Lord. Teach them when you get, grandma gives you 10 bucks, give up one. Save that and you'll give it in church and make it fun. Oh, make it fun. We did with our kids and they look forward to it. They hold on to it. And since my kids have OCD like their dad, they feel guilty if they lose it. Oh no, God's gonna kill me. He won't kill you. And most of all, live honest Christian lives before them. You need to be at home the same person you are at church. No, there's no perfect parents. I'm not one. But if the word is never in your mouth or your ears at home, 
but it is at church. Well, what's that say? So, um, second thing we can learn from this text that we can apply. Join in on the job of teaching somebody's children. (laughs) Abraham Kuyper said, he is your friend who pushes you nearer to God. Who's pushing the neighborhood children in your neighborhood towards God? Some of you do. Some of you drag your neighborhood children in. Some of you teach them in, in your own home. Some of you do fun things. But who's teaching the kids? Every, every fall, um, we have uh, four children's coordinators panicking, saying, I don't know if we're going to have enough kid parent, or people to teach our kids. Well, let's put an end to that. Let's put an end to that. Let's value them. Let's lead. It's, it's the same as dropping off Eli, uh, Samuel with Eli. Uh, you don't, they don't have to be your kids. They could be anybody's kids. Influence the children in your world. And finally, send them out. Let them go. And I, and I think this one's odd because it could sound like for missionaries. It really is thinking about missionaries. But I, every missionary has parents, right? You're like, look at those missionaries. They go to the end of the age. That's amazing. They're amazingly faithful people. And somewhere back home, mom's going, what? Do you think it was easy for Hannah to walk away? She probably smiled at the little dude, kissed him on the head, turned around, and her face just turned into sadness, and she cried all the way home. Because that's what you do. It's not, every missionary has parents. Why are you raising children anyway? What are you raising them for? They're God's. They belong to God. They don't belong to you. She said, I'm lending him to you, God. Really, he was lending Sam to her. And, and she managed him well, as it'll turn out. Well, why are you having kids? As a rule, Christian parents should raise their kids to grow up and leave. Because the Bible says for this cause, a man and a woman, a man leaves his father and mother to not need you. To send, as a rule, no Christian parents should tell their adult children, you can't leave here because your mother's here and your grandmother's here and we're all here and I know you have this great opportunity here or this great dream there, but you can't go because we're here. That isn't good. That's bad. Because God said, look, when they grow up, <laughs> they're not yours. They're mine. They got to do what I say. That woman married that man, and that man's going to be a missionary. She's got to go. Or even if he just wants, he's going to go to Florida to chase his dream. So, with all that in mind, when a, when a child wants to enter the ministry, they're not children anymore then, we need to send them. We need to send them. It has been a joy in this church to send people raised right here in our midst. Out! And, and yes, parents should not hold back their kids. I know someone who's going to take a woman uh, overseas. He wasn't going to take a woman. It sounds like he was kidnapping her. She was <laughs> just willingly going with her husband as a missionary. And one of her relatives came and said, if anything happens to her, I'm going to kill you. Made a death threat on his life. To which I'd have answered, you're going to have to find me first. <laughs> this is before the internet, so...
but we as a church, there in a way, we are all offering Eli. We're all offering, or Samuel, I mean, to Eli when we send missionaries. God wants to glorify himself. You're gonna see Samuel bring a lot of glory to God over these next so many weeks. I wanna see that in my life right here. I wanna see, I wanna see Nate Adams and Tabitha Adams glorify God greatly. So let's send them. Or the Clinches or the Jasas or the... John's, well, the Jason, Amber Nupai, what's their last name? Jason, right? We're we're joining Hannah. (laughs) We're sending them out, and at a great cost. And uh, that's why, by the way, if you're listening in India, I will personally be knitting you robes every year. (laughs) If you don't get that joke, you will next week when you read the chapter, all right? (laughs) Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.